0: If you've brought your Bibles, and I trust that you have, turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. And we'll read uh, a portion of Scripture here. The children and I had thought to even just have them read my text for this morning, but I I didn't. And uh, uh, it would not have been a bad deal. It would have been good. But let's begin in verse 1. And, of course, I'm going to make a couple comments as I read down through here. I always try to give you a little food for thought, something that you can meditate on. Uh, I try to prepare a buffet. It <laughs> uh, depends on what part of the country you're from. It could be buffet. <laughs> but uh, it's something that, you can, that everybody can get. Verse 1, he says, And it came to pass, in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus, that all the world should be taxed. Now, this is something that happened before the birth of Christ. And it has been said by the preachers and the pastors that I have set under when I was younger and couldn't quite understand it, that types in the Word of God, and we need to look for patterns, and if there was a global tax that was enacted right before the birth of Christ or the first coming of Christ, there will be a global tax right before the second coming. And this year, if you've paid attention to politics any at all, in the last G7 summit meeting that Biden and those nations approved a 15% corporate global tax. You say, what's that mean? It means we're close. That's what it means. And so I figured I'd throw that in there, food for thought. Uh, My resources on that, of course, you just Google it, Political News, uh, CSBNC, and all the others, that it was something that they had achieved through this last G7 meeting. I don't care about the corporate global tax, but they're trying to streamline this thing, you know, but uh, what I care about is there was a global tax right before he was born there in the major. And there'll be a global tax going on before he comes that second time. We're, we're getting close, folks. I'm not trying to date the rapture. But I am telling you, we're very close. And my advice to you, if you are not part of the body of Christ, if you're not actively serving in a church, you need to get in. You need to be born again. Or you're going to be left with this mess. It's going to get worse. The Bible is clear that there in Matthew that when these things start, these are called birthing pains. He likens it to a woman in contraction. They get closer, closer, closer to the time of the birth until the birth that that child comes into the world or into the earth. And these things in this earth, the... The pandemics, oh, it's not by accident. The Bible refers to a pandemic as a pestilence. They're going to get worse. They're going to become more frequent. There's going to be more fear stirred. My advice is to Gideon. My advice is to Gideon. Verse 2, And this taxing was first made when Cyrenus was governor of Syria, and all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city and joseph also went up from galilee out of the city of nazareth into judea under the city of david which is called bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of david to be taxed with mary his espoused wife being great with child and so it was that while they were there the days were accomplished that she should be delivered and here's my text verse for today And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. And here's the text. Because there was no room for them in the inn. Now let's read on because it makes one for interesting reading. But we're going to find, and I want you to look at it as people that made room for Jesus shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made note unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds, but Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Let us pray. Our gracious Father, we come. Lord, help us today as we wind up this year. And this is, uh, uh, Lord, uh, uh, a, a season and a time that we've set aside to recognize uh, the birth of Christ. God manifested in the flesh, Emmanuel. Emmanuel. And Lord, we even changed our calendar. It was such a great event. But yet there are skeptics that do not believe that Jesus is God. Lord, let the Holy Spirit speak through me this morning. Forgive me of my sins. If there be any lost, help them to fall under Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost conviction. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. I'd like to spend a few moments... Of your time this morning, I had originally titled the message, and it is in my notes as No Room for Jesus. And uh, I wanted, I changed the title to Make Room for Jesus because that's what I want you to get out of the message today. I do not want you to be the type of person that has no room for Jesus. And we see here in this text that Mary and Joseph, they come into Bethlehem and if the Pharisees would have done their homework the way they should have, instead of being children of the devil and being against anything good that God has done, they would have known that Jesus had been born in Bethlehem just like the Bible had said. And it would have been on the tax register there. That's why they went to their uh, city where they had come from. And Joseph of the line of David had to go back to Bethlehem, part of that global citizenship, because Rome ruled the world at that time. And everybody was a citizen there of Rome, and you're going to pay taxes globally. But we run into this person called the innkeeper. Can you imagine for a moment as Mary and Joseph come in the town, and I'm sure that this town... Was crowded. I understand that when they said there was no vacancy, they had come there. Uh, Mary is about to deliver. Uh, you all that have had children, you understand when that time starts getting close, you know, about the ninth month, and things start happening. And I, I've been thinking all week, so they start having those bracks and hicks, and you see how much I know about it. But uh, they they begin to have those uh, uh, contractions and birthing pains. And there she is. She had rode in on a a donkey. Can you imagine that, ladies, being nine months pregnant and having to ride on on this donkey coming into town? You're talking about a tough woman. She was pretty tough. We get all upset riding in our cushy vehicles, you know. Like, can't you drive any better than that? You hit every bump in the road. Try riding on a donkey. Never was a horse person or a donkey person. (laughs) I will be one day, though. The Lord's got a a white horse just for me. And he's over there eating heavenly grain right now. (laughs) And we'll be riding that. Uh, Boy, all all of us and all of you, will be riding on white horses behind the Lord uh, when he comes back that second time. Amen. But here she was. You imagine Joseph knocking on the door, saying, hey, I need a place to stay. Uh, my spouse, wife, she's getting ready to have a child. And that innkeeper said, there's no vacancy here. It's crowded, can't you see? Everybody's here for their taxes. So the innkeeper turns away a mother in labor he would not make room for jesus is what i'm saying my question is what about his room why didn't he give mary his room Why didn't he set up a cot out in the hallway and and he was going to be up anyway taking care of guests? Why would he not make room for Jesus? Better yet, because he didn't know Jesus, why would he not make room for a pregnant mother? Getting ready to bring forth a child. Pretty cruel, ain't it? Pretty low down. Now the innkeeper, he didn't know Jesus. But I believe sometimes, buckle up, we're worse than the innkeeper. You know, we know Jesus. He saved us. He's our benevolent Savior. He's our Father, and He blesses us, and He gives us what we need every day. But we turn Him away, don't we? You say, oh, this ain't the Christmas message I wanted. Merry Christmas. I understand it ain't what you're wanting to eat. But we need some greens in our diet. It's what we do need. And it's what the Holy Spirit give me. We're worse than the innkeeper because we know who Jesus is. He saved us. We know our Savior and our provider, but we have no room for Jesus in our lives, do we not? I mean, when it comes to planning our lives and the prioritizing our lives, uh, Jesus is the last person that gets the last little bit of time ever, isn't it? Jen and I were doing a little talking this morning, and we were talking about something I don't know what it was, but uh, it, was, it was about coming to church. I says, "Let me tell you something. You want to know why they're not wanting to come to church?" I said, "Because it ain't their habits." I said, I go to church because it's my habits. We were talking about habits is what we were talking about. <laughs> we we're talking about why I couldn't ever make a habit of a good diet. And they tell me, <laughs> they tell me that before you can make a habit, you need at least Six weeks of constant doing that same thing. And I got news for you. Most Christians today won't get to church enough in six weeks to ever make it a habit of being churchgoers because they have no room for Jesus. And we know Him. But then that same reading I was reading, it takes 10 weeks to break a habit. 10 weeks. Constant, Every day, no slip-ups to break a habit. Pretty easy for Christians to break the habit of going to church, isn't it? We have no room for Jesus in our lives. And I was, we was finishing up, I said, look, I go to church. I don't always want to go to church. It's not always convenient for me, but I was trained from a child. It become habit for me. That when I wake up on a Sunday, and a Sunday night and a Wednesday night, I'm go- that's my habit. That's what I do. Because no matter what else goes on in my life, I will make room for Jesus. And I got news for you. If Jesus is not getting sweeter to you every day, it's because you have not made room for Jesus. And you're worse than this innkeeper. I didn't plan to say all that that way. It just come out that way. But I, I know that the Holy Spirit put it on my heart. I've been thinking about this message for the last four or five weeks. I knew I was going to preach it. I knew what the points were. Make room for Jesus. I see some people here that made room for Jesus. Mary made room for Jesus in her life. She, we, we preached on her last week. She was a spouse to Joseph. Joseph was her knight in shining armor. They had plans. They were going to get married. And they were going to start a family. They were going to be successful. They are going to raise their children right. And all of a sudden, God's grand purpose for her life said, Hey, you're going to have to make a little room for Jesus. She says, as thou wilt. That's the way it's going to happen. Joseph said, man, this thing's a nightmare. This is not even my wife yet. We're fiance, and now she's pregnant, she tells me. I'm going to have to put her away privately." Because he didn't want to embarrass her. He loved her. And the angel of the Lord came to him and says, No, the thing that's happened to her is of the Holy Ghost. She's made room for Jesus. And you need to also. And guess what Joseph did? He made some room for Jesus. But I see some other people here. I see these shepherds here. And he says that they are taking care of their sheep. They're keeping watch over them. Night. You know what that tells me? They were working 24 7, boys. They were working day and night. They were working during the day and they were working and keeping watch by night. And yet they had time and they made room for Jesus. They were busy, but here they were. And they said, Look, <laughs> The angel of the Lord, they not only made room for Jesus to come and see him and to take some time out of their 24-7 schedule to have a little meeting with Jesus there in the manger. Boy, what a meeting! They also made time to take in a praise service there. And the heavenly host of God began to sing and began to strike up the band. And they made room for Jesus. They made some time for Jesus. And then they come over there, and they visited with Mary and Joseph. You say, well, making room for Jesus is not always convenient. I never said it was easy. But you need to make some room for Jesus. I'm going to tell you this world is going to hell in a handbasket. And you're going to need Jesus. We need Jesus more now than we have ever needed him before. And you're going to have to start making some room for Jesus. I'm going to give you three areas that you need to make room for Jesus in. Number one, this innkeeper, this was his home. And he wasn't going to make no room for Jesus. And so I'm telling you, you need to make room for Jesus in your home I understand this morning that you probably live in a house it 's either made of bricks, it 's made of siding, it 's made of stucco, it 's made of concrete, but you have a house that 's not what i 'm talking about i 'm talking about your home i 'm talking about you as husband and wife and your children. that 's your home. You need to make room for Jesus in your home, and with you will not make room for Jesus in your home. you 're going to have fightings, you 're going to have turmoils, you 're going to have division. Because the devil, has a roaring lion, he's seeking to devour families. If you ain't got this figured out yet, the devil hates families. And he'll do his best to destroy them. I hate to tell you this, but sometimes we help him with the job when we won't make room for Jesus in our homes. You know, Let me ask you this. Is there room for Jesus at your table? Do you ask the grace? Do you pray and thank God for your food before you just sit there and start eating? You that have children, you need to make it a habit to eat at the dinner table. And you need to teach those children that they're going to pray before you eat and thank God. Is there room for Jesus at your table? I mean, it's Jesus that put the food on that table. You say, well, no, my job did. Buddy, you've got tunnel vision. God, give you that job. God, give you the health. Not everybody's got good health this morning. You've heard the prayer requests going up. There's people that wanted to be here this morning that cannot physically be here. Oh, you better make room for Jesus at your table. Is there room for Jesus in your living room? Mm. What's in your living room? Is that where we would find your family Bible? Is that where you have family altar? You do teach your children and grandchildren about a family altar in the home, do you not? You do teach them that it is appropriate in the evening of every day to visit and to come together as a family to read a little bit out of the Word of God or a daily devotional, maybe have time of question, and then you take prayer requests and pray. Is there room for Jesus in your living room? Are you making room for Jesus in your living room? Is there room for Jesus in your marriage? I gave you a hint a few weeks back. The hint I give you, I did not tell you would be easy to do. I I told you when you get into a spat. And I got news for you. Listen to me. We're on marriage counseling again. Every real relationship will have conflict. Oh, no, I'm being my wife. We never have a disagreement. It's not real. Even your pastor kisses the guardrail from time to time. If you ask my children, I crash through the guardrail from time to time. Don't mean to. It happens, don't it? It gets us. Our spouse, who we value their opinion very highly. We're very sensitive to them, but we're also very sensitive to the words they say to us sometimes we might take them the wrong way right and all of a sudden we respond with anger and i told you remember what i said when that goes down it happens you need to get that fixed as soon as possible the first thing you need to do is both of you come together and pray and introduce christ right into that situation immediately make room for jesus immediately in the marriage if you keep going down that path there will be a straw that breaks the camel's back, and it'll be over. And you'll be sitting there looking dumbfounded, wanting to play around in the realm of fantasy why it all went up and smoke around you, because you would not make room for Jesus in your marriage. I advise you if you're having trouble, don't come to me after the thing's over. Come to me before it ever gets down that far to get in on some biblical counseling, to get in on some help, maybe just to get on on what the old preachers experienced. I don't want you all to think that, oh, the pastor and Jenny, they have the perfect marriage. They never argue. They never fuss. They never fight. What? Now, we don't fight and argue like most people. (laughs) But I did kiss the guardrail, and I'm telling you, I kissed it. Everybody else said, I, 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 I blowed right over it and fell over the cliff a couple weeks back. But it didn't last long. It happens to everybody because real relationships will have conflict. You can't be totally honest with each other. And never have any conflict. There will be some conflict. But you got to learn how to resolve that. And to take temper out of it. Take the flesh out of it. Immediately, I didn't say it was easy. It is not easy to take your spouse by the hand who you're mad at and say, We need to pray immediately. And pray, and then we need to discuss this. I'll tell you this right now. (laughs) You remember when your mom's and dad used to make you hug your siblings that you had a a fight with? and You didn't want to do that. But it's awful hard to still be mad at somebody after you've hugged them, ain't it? That's where I'm going. You make room for Jesus and your marriage. It's real hard to stay mad at your spouse when you know Jesus knows. And all of a sudden now, and I got news for you, he always knows, you just ain't paying attention. He's there. And he's watching you make a fool out of yourself. Make room for Jesus in your homes. You'll have better homes because of it. I'm not telling you or giving you some fake fantasy or something that doesn't work. It works, but you got to do it. Make room for Jesus in your home. Number two, make room for Jesus in your habits. And that's what got that conversation this morning sparked because that was the second point of my message this morning. is making room for Jesus in your habits. You say, "What are you talking about? You're getting ready to get on my beer drinking my cigarette sucking, and my drugging and my running? No, I'm talking about your church going. Make it a habit. We got time for everything else. We got time for all the other habits. We sit in our own misery. We sit in our own slop. And we can't. we feel sorry for ourselves, we get depressed. And I'm going to tell you, you're not making room for Jesus in your habits. You're not. The shepherds made room for Jesus in their habits. Their habit was to work. They were working 24-7. And let me tell you this. (laughs) If you're so busy because you're working so much with your big, bad, fancy job that you don't have no room for Jesus, you're too busy. You're too busy. I understand we got to work to live. We got to work to eat. But when you become so busy, about your habits, that you cannot make room for Jesus, you're going to have some problems. We need to make room for Jesus in the places we go. We go everywhere, don't we? I mean, we go everywhere. I mean, we build our little schedules. We leave a little bit of that flexible room for anything that just might pop up. And boy, we just got time for everything. But Jesus, don't we? I mean, we sure ain't going to miss our t- coffee time, are we? They got a new coffee shop down here, Smoky Bean or something like that. Pretty good. It's not bad. I catch one on my prayer drive. I've made a habit of a prayer drive all this year. I used, I, well, I still come down to the church and pray. But I've made a habit out of going for a prayer drive every day. I find I'm less distracted. You ever deal with when you're praying, everything else hits you in your mind? Go for a prayer drive. I take a cup of coffee with me. And I have a particular route that takes me an hour to do. It's become a habit and I look forward to doing it every day now. You say, what is it? Well, it's a habit now. I've been working on it all year. As a pastor, I have to make room for Jesus. Now, there's a lot of pastors that don't. But I'm going to tell you, if you want a good pastor, that's worth his salt. He's going to have to be alone with God. He's going to have to make it a habit to spend some time with God. You need to make room for Jesus in your habits. How about who you hang out with? I will caution you that the Bible says that evil communications corrupt good manners. If you have friends and I'm saying friends, not acquaintances, friends that are not Christian you need to seriously consider that. See, well I'm just trying to win them to Jesus. Well then why every day that goes by you become more atheistic and less godly and them less Of a believer. I understand we have a duty to witness to this world. I'm talking about that we need to make it a habit that we be careful who we spend times with. We have no business with infidels. The Bible's clear on that. We do not need to be unequally yoked together. What I'm saying is you need to make Christ part of your habits, make room for Him, make it a priority. How about how you think? You make room for Jesus in your thought life. You need to make room for Jesus in your thinking. say, oh, preacher, am I the only one that has bad thoughts? No, everybody does. The devil attacks us like that. But you need to cast them aside and immediately make room for Jesus in how you think. How about what you're looking at? Is there any room for Jesus in what you're looking at? Would Jesus be able to have fellowship with you on what you're looking at when no one else is around? Say, oh, preacher, you're meddling now. I'm telling you, you need to start making some room for Jesus in your habits. And the last point, which we found in verse 19, where Mary says, but Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. You need to make room for Jesus in your heart. There's a lot of people that are lost, dying, going to hell. And if we get raptured out of here and those people are not saved, they got to go through this tribulation thing. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be fun. We need to make room for Jesus in our hearts. That word pondered means to meditate. Do you all spend time meditating on the goodness of God? There's a blessing there for you. You know, sometimes I have bad days. Sometimes and some days I have things that overwhelm me. You get to looking too far into the future And I tell you, you'll pull your hair out. I promise you, I promise you, you will. Because if everything keeps on its current course, you're bankrupt. You need to spend some time meditating on the goodness of God. God is still in control of everything. I'm not saying that we need to throw caution to the wind, but we need to rest in Jesus. And the only way to do that is to make room for Jesus in our hearts. Is there room for Jesus in your heart? Let me ask you like this. Have you been born again? Have you made room for Jesus in your heart? You're not going to go to heaven if you don't make room for Jesus in your heart. The Bible's real clear about that. There seems to be a great deception today about, well, all I got to do is is believe. You know, I got to hope and trust and I need a little pixie dust. No, it's a little more than that. The Bible says, for with the heart man believeth. You want to know what's wrong with most people? They believed with the head, not the heart. They'll make room for Jesus up here, but there's no room for Jesus down here. I'm telling you, you need to make room for Jesus like Mary did. Meditate upon him, make room for him. And you need Jesus in your heart. I need Jesus. I'm glad I have him in my heart. And he does get sweeter every day. preacher, these last two years ain't been sweeter for me. If that's true, what you've just confessed to, because I know God's true, I know the word of God's true, then you've not been making room for Jesus. He's not been your habit. He's not been in your heart. He's not been in your home. And it's only going to get worse from here. So you need to make some room for Jesus. Joseph, he made room for Jesus in his life. Mary, she made room for Jesus in her life. The shepherds, though they were working 24-7, made room for Jesus in their life, in their worship, in their praise, and in the telling of others. They made time to tell others about Jesus, verse 17. And they were working 24-7. We do not have excuse, folks. Well, I just don't have time. Uh, these shepherds were working 24-7, and they did. They made room. That's why I told you and I started this message, we're worse than the innkeeper. We know Jesus. We know the Savior. He has saved us. We have a home in heaven. we got a horse we're going to ride on. We've we've got a barn. We've got a street of gold. We've got it all. There's fish in the river of life. We're going to fish and hunt every day. But yet we don't have no room for Jesus. Wow. Do you have room for Jesus today in your life? Let's all stand this morning. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Do you have room for Jesus in your home?